0: Welcome to the Sam Says podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm happy to welcome Allison Lowe Fotus or Allie policy manager for Start Early to talk about the importance of infant and early childhood mental health. Allie, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I love partnering with I'm Hip.
0: And we love partnering with Start Early and are really thrilled for this conversation as we sort of kick off highlighting behavioral health and i think an area that we are as a society as a community becoming more and more aware of is children's behavioral health but often i think we think of that as adolescent behavioral health but what we're actually going to talk about is infant and early childhood mental health which of course lays that foundation for sort of that adolescent and adult behavioral health and i just think it's not talked about enough and there's so much to learn and so ali i'm thrilled that you're here to enlighten and inform our listeners. Thank you. Yes, I agree.
1: I think most people when they hear children's mental health, they think older school age kids, and it can be pretty confusing thinking about infants, toddlers, preschoolers, having anything associated with mental health.
0: But they're humans, they're people, and we all Mm -hmm. have mental health. And I think, you know, you have Good mental health hygiene, or or you might be in, you know, might have a mental illness, or you might be in a a bad phase of life, but we all have mental health regardless of age. And so, can you shed a little bit more light on the importance of infant and early childhood mental health and your efforts?
1: Sure, thanks. Um, So, to give a little background, I can talk a little bit about Start Early. Um, For 40 years now, uh, and we were formerly known as the ounce of prevention. Um, but we've been focused on being champions for quality early learning and care, focused on closing the opportunity gap for our youngest learners. Um, we're a public-private partnership serving children and families from birth through age or sorry, prenatally through age five. And we support early childhood programs. We conduct research, provide professional development for early childhood professionals, and we participate in policy and advocacy, which is what I do. So while I do work in policy, um, my background is actually in clinical social work. And I used to work directly in early childhood programs, providing uh, case management, then family support work, mental health consultation, direct therapy with kids and families, and program administration and reflective supervision. Before making the switch to early childhood policy advocacy, but I really feel like that direct practice work really informs my policy and macro work. And so to talk about what we're talking about today, infant and early childhood mental health, um, and just how important it is. And like I said, people are really surprised to hear those words all lumped together. Um, and it's often misunderstood, but it's actually really a simple concept. It's so much about promotion and that mental health, not mental illness. Um, and while it does include some things like um, you know, challenges, it's really focused on the, the entire range of things. And it's really the foundation of all future development. And we all as a society kind of share ownership in helping our children grow. So kind of the official definition of infant and early childhood mental health is that it's the developing capacity of the child from birth to five years of age, to form close and secure adult and peer relationships, to manage and express and experience a full range of emotions, and to explore the environment and learn. And all of this is done within the context of family, community, culture. Um, A lot of people equate it with overall social emotional development or self-regulation, but that's not entirely accurate um, because infant and early childhood mental health, it addresses the needs and the strengths of the child, the needs and the strengths of the primary caregiver, and then the quality of that caregiving relationship. So these three things that come together. And this approach really focuses on these three domains and then the related environmental factors that really impact this system. It also honors a family's culture. So that's really about approaching the work with cultural humility, which is a combination of respect and appreciation. Um, And I really believe in the importance of supporting and promoting infant and early childhood mental health, which also includes supporting the mental health of the caregiver, the family, the community. Prenatal to the first three years of a child's life, it's really the most rapid and critical and vulnerable period of development in the entire human lifespan. Kids are learning and developing from the moment they're born, and that makes those early weeks and months of life among the most important for really building that secure relationship with parents and caregivers. But also ensuring that that family has what they need to support healthy development. And so what I really strive to do is really hope to create systems that support people, build community, and help people not just to live, but to actually thrive.
0: Oh, Allie, I just love all of that. And I'm nodding. My Our listeners can't see this, but I am nodding right along. Um, for our listeners, they know here at the Old Fry household, we had a, a little one, an eight-month-old, and um, it's the most challenging time, right? It is. So- it's, it's the best and it's the worst. It's the... It's the wonderful things and it's the hardest things and you can't do it alone. Every family needs support. Yes. And, and you've got to, I mean, I just can't, as a mom, I just so fully appreciate and understand on the days that I'm worn out and that I am tired and that my mental capacity is at essentially zero. Mm -hmm. Our house is more stressed. It's more tense. It is nowhere near as um, ideal as when I put my oxygen mask on first. Yes.
1: And I appreciate you bringing that up because life happens. You're not perfect all the time. And while you try to regulate your own self so that you can be there for your kids, it's not always possible. And um, one of my favorite quotes comes from a pediatrician, Ed Tronic, um, but he talks about there's a lot in infant and early childhood mental health about attunement, rupture and repair. And He talks about life is messy, mistakes happen. The important thing is that the repair is there. And is there a repair and what kind is it? Because it's never a lost cause. You know, That's part of teaching a child that big things, big emotions happen, but they're still safe because there's still repair there. And um, we can always still be there for each other. And sometimes we just need to step away. We need a little break so that we can then repair.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I love that. I always say I've also got a six-year-old and I learned that he is learning the growth mindset um, through mm-hmm. seeing us continually strive to do better, even on the days that maybe we only brought 70% of our ability as opposed to 100%. Mm-hmm. And I know you got you have written um, an article on the federal efforts around infant and early childhood mental health. Um, and I, you know, bringing that clinical and the policy, you know, and braiding that together. Can you talk a little bit about, about those efforts?
1: For sure. So president Joe Biden and his administration, they've really recognized the critical need for federal action, supporting positive mental health kind of across the lifespan, but we've been really excited to see some things that are specifically focused on very young children, which hasn't historically happened, Um, so both the approved fiscal year 2022 spending package and then the latest budget proposal for fiscal year 2023 they really shine a significant and unprecedented focus on mental health and the fy 23 budget includes either new or increased funding for things like the infinite early childhood mental health grant program project launch um, embedding early childhood development experts in health centers the community mental health block grant the national child traumatic stress network also screening and treatment for maternal depression and related disorders. And then the maternal health hotline, which was actually just launched on Mother's Day. And then federal legislation has also been introduced in Congress that would help meet the urgent need, health needs of families today. So there really is bipartisan support for very wide-reaching and long-lasting reforms that can create kind of this healthy foundation for all children starting prenatally.
0: That is, is just simply wonderful. And I, I'm so appreciative of, sort of your advocacy, your research, and, and also the, the appetite at the federal level to support these efforts. Um, because I do think, especially as we think of, you know, what's going on in society, all of the challenges, the heartbreaking, you know, the continual retraumatization, um, that we're all living through and, and the pandemic and isolation, um, mental health again, typically for older folks, you know, we're thinking adults or older children, you know, it's sort of beginning, it's a topic of conversation. And I'm really happy that your work is broadening that conversation and um, really putting a spotlight on that foundation. Because I think if we can really invest in those early years, as we do with other things, we will reap the benefits as a society later on. Yeah. And it's about,
1: again, it's not about not addressing adult mental health or older children either. It's because, like I said, that relationship and that that system is is part of infant and early childhood mental health. So if the caregivers aren't well, then the children aren't well. And so it's like when we're funding and supporting adult and older child mental health, let's also not forget about that baby that's there, too. Um, But then at the same time, providing those very preventative, promotive supports for those very young children. And then, yes, if there are are times when a diagnosis for very young children is needed and they need additional help providing those treatments and things. But we also get into kind of workforce issues, which could be a whole other podcast, which is not just specific to infant and early childhood mental health, but there are fewer folks knowledgeable in that um, that background and then also trained in, in the more specific types of treatments and things. So, um, again, a whole other podcast for that.
0: <laughs> oh, but it's, it's something we'll definitely want to dive into at a later point, because I think as we continue to work through this, um, through all of this work, workforce is that backbone, right? Like mm-hmm. it's one thing to have a good idea, um, and and a program, but if you don't have the people to implement it and, and the, Members meant to benefit from it don't know about it. You mm-hmm. don't have implementation, right? And and I just want to pull out one more thread, and that is public policy. Mental health is not pie, and that if you give one piece, you know there it, it does not shrink or limit or take right. away from somebody else. And so I just want to you know highlight and underscore what you said, Allie. Is it's not like we need to shift our focus from adults and adolescents to young children. No, we need to broaden our focus and mm-hmm. keep everybody um, in mind and move programs forward for everyone and broaden our efforts um, and not treat it like pie.
1: Yeah, because it's both. end. if an adult, if a parent is experiencing their own mental health challenges, how is that impacting the baby? But then also, let's say the child may have a diagnosis or a developmental disability. How does the parent respond to that? And how does that affect their view of their child or their interaction with their child? So it goes both ways.
0: Absolutely. In the view of themselves. I mean, there's just so much wrapped up there and, and so large of a need to support families. Mm-hmm. And I think as we think of how, supporting families and the, the need to support families more and, and thankfully the federal efforts to do that. One area that I know as a mom that it felt like underscored the need for a village was the pandemic mm-hmm. um, and that isolation. And I, I just can't imagine I was the only one that felt um, just absolutely stretched and strapped.
1: Um, I feel you. I have a young child myself. She's six <laughs> now, but <laughs> I know what that was like. And yeah.
0: (laughs) And can you talk a little bit about challenges, opportunities, and, and, you know, behavioral health, you know, increasing in prevalence due to the pandemic and sort of what we've learned so far and how you will take those lessons going forward. Sure. So
1: historically, um, national data from the centers for disease control and prevention actually show that indicators of positive mental health are present in most children. So pre-pandemic, Parents reported that their child mostly or always showed affection, resilience, positivity, and curiosity among preschool age children. But uh, one in six U.S. children aged two to eight actually does have a diagnosed mental, behavioral, or developmental disorder. But 75 to 80 percent of children in need of mental health services actually don't receive them. So that's a pretty big number. Um, Unfortunately, families often rely on emergency rooms to address children's mental health needs where wait times are 8% longer. And there are actual further disparities in access for Black and Latinx children who are less likely to be diagnosed or treated for mental health conditions and concerns. Um, This could be due to inequitable access to services as well as kind of ongoing stigmas and perceptions of services among other factors. And actually psychiatric and behavioral problems among children of color, they often result in school punishment or incarceration, but rarely mental health care. And unfortunately these statistics and disparities are pre-pandemic. And as you said, you know, this is a new challenge that we're living in and new reports from the CDC and the Surgeon General have highlighted major increases in adverse mental health symptoms among children since the onset of the pandemic. Um, There are lower rates of identification for young children, especially with disabilities. There are difficulties providing those services that they should be receiving, and many children are experiencing higher levels of social and emotional challenges, um, both when we were isolated at home, but also in the return to school. Um, and not everyone has returned to school either, <laughs> so um, it's a heightened period that we're living in Um, a survey by Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago conducted about a year ago during the pandemic. It estimated that 70,000 toddlers and children in Chicago alone were showing mental health and behavioral health symptoms, but um, there are actually a variety of strategies across the continuum. So like I said, from promotion and prevention to intervention and then to targeted treatment that address infant and early childhood mental health. So things like a tiered system of support within programs, parent child interaction guidance, developmental screenings for kids, caregiver mental health screenings, um, crisis intervention for families, and also dyadic therapies when those targeted treatments are needed. There are also statewide efforts to address children's mental health. So there's actually new funding for infant and early childhood mental health consultation and a tiered system of supports like the pyramid model to early childhood programs. So that's providing those extra like mental health supports to early childhood programs. There's also been legislation back in 2017, public act 100-105 that prohibited early childhood expulsion due to a child's behavior, and if you know anything about early childhood expulsion, again, there are disparities there. Um, It's a lot of implicit bias on interpreting kids' behavior of of what's right and what's wrong, and um, it's usually older Black boys who are expelled from programs, Um, and so that legislation was introduced to try and address some of that. There was also Public Act 1010654, which was spearheaded by the Black Caucus last year. And it does a lot of things. There are very many pillars, but one of the things in there um, requires behavioral health clinicians working with children under age five to actually use a developmentally appropriate diagnostic and assessment and billing system if a diagnosis is needed. So that is the Diagnostic Classification of Mental Health and Developmental Disorders of Infancy and Early Childhood. Very long word for basically the DC zero to five. That's what we call it. And that's the uh, basically the DSM for young children. And so that legislation is asking um, that clinicians use that when they're diagnosing a child zero to five. And then you can actually use a crosswalk to Um, crosswalk to the ICD-10 codes so that clinicians can bill for it. And there are, this is very new, very few people know about the DC 0-5, to but because of the legislation, we're also as a state trying to introduce more trainings to get more clinicians trained in it, and then also um, provider notices so that people know how to actually bill for it. And then also this year, the governor launched the Children's Behavioral Health Transformation Initiative, so that's really exciting to see. Um, So basically all of this to say is that the good news is that, you know, adverse childhood experiences, they actually don't dictate the future of the child. You know, a a child responds differently to all different situations. They also don't respond the same way in at different points in times. It's fluid, but it doesn't necessarily dictate the future of, of that child. There's a huge opportunity everywhere in early childhood. That's that's the great part about it, too. And so we really have to be strengths based in our approach and really focus on those protective factors because even when there are risk factors present, there are going to be some protective factors that we can build off of. And the single most common resilience factor for kids is at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. And that can be anyone, that could be a parent. You hope it's. A parent, but it, it can be any caregiver, it can be a teacher, it can be you, you know, you're an aunt, an uncle, whoever. And you don't have to be a clinician to do infant and early childhood mental health work um you know it's those simple interactions so playing with a young child looking a baby in the eye soothing them when they're crying you know describing a toddler's emotions to them so that they really begin to understand what these big feelings are and can put words to them those simple things that really foster that attachment and and development but we also need to look at that macro level within our systems not just on an individual level so you know as we work to bolster that mental health system by reducing stigma of the mental health challenges and, and also improving access to care and closing those race-based disparities, we really need to use a very multi-pronged approach. So pulling in a variety of non-traditional providers and supports because you know programs, staff, and those families, they really need to be equipped with the best tools and supports to be able to promote that mental health of, uh, and well-being of those very young children. And yes, provide the interventions when appropriate. And then, you know, those targeted treatments when
0: needed. So much there. And I love all of it, Allie. And I love that there's like another podcast completely to still dive further. Uh, But what I want to pull out um, before we wrap up is just sort of underscore what you said about that one positive adult relationship. Because I think as we look over, or maybe it's just me, but as I look past the last few years, as I look at all of the challenges, I'm always, you know, it can feel overwhelming, Mm -hmm. but there is something we can do as individuals, as individual adults, we can be those positive adults in children's lives, whether they're their own own children, our nieces and nephews, our children's friends, um, the neighbor, but, you know, just be a positive, Warm adult looking babies in their eyes, smiling, helping everybody, as you know, children navigate emotions as we all have big and small ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I think that is an actionable item we can all do. So, if you're feeling overwhelmed by all, there's it's nice to know there's something we can do to make a difference, yes. And with that, I think it's a perfect place to end. Allie, thank you so much for this amazing conversation, for joining us, for um, enlightening us and informing us, and for hopefully committing to come back and talk to us more about workforce issues.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, because I love talking about this. And the more we can increase awareness of the importance of that mental health of very young children and... Yes, how overwhelming it is, but also how easy and simple it is too. Um, the more we can increase awareness, you know, among our families and communities and programs and our practitioners, you know, the more these these little kiddos can can thrive and be the best they can be.
0: Right, I love it, Allie. Thank you so much, and to our listeners, to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website at i'mhip.net. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Olds-Fry, The Sam and Sam Says. And as always, thank you for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.